This week's podcast is brought to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we believe God has called and empowered congregations to change the world. For 25 years, Center consultants, coaches, and educators have been supporting congregations, clergy, and lay leaders as they meet the ongoing challenges of congregational life, including training ministers to manage transition, helping congregations work through polarizing conflict, coaching clergy to discover and utilize their gifts for ministry, and assisting congregations in discerning God's call to future missions and ministry. Center consultants and coaches don't dispense expert advice. Instead, they recognize the uniqueness of each congregation and work to create the space needed for God's people to discern and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the Center for Congregational Health and to find the help you need in order to thrive in mission and ministry. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Church Starts Conversation. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship and interviews of people doing groundbreaking work of partnering together and renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from church starters, pastors, and practitioners. This is Andy Hale. This week's episode will be part two of our conversation around the most common mistakes of Church Starts. We'll feature Kyle Tubbs, who is a commissioned church started by CBF in Round Rock, Texas. This fellowship is called Peace of Christ Church. You can find more information about them at peacewilco.com. Let's jump into this conversation. Yeah. Well, speaking of controversial people, our uh, our podcast guest for today, uh, well, how do you put this? Controversial? I think so. Uh you know, when I was thinking uh, and preparing for introducing Kyle Tubbs, um, I kept saying to myself over and over again, don't say grace, don't say grace, don't say <laughs> grace. And I imagined myself accidentally introducing you as the pastor of grace uh, and and you saying, it's actually a piece of Christ, you jerk, uh, which would completely contradict the name of your church. Oh, I was wondering if you just didn't want to associate the concept of grace with me. Oh, I don't no. want to tarnish what grace means by associating it with Kyle Tubbs. Yeah, no, I, I just imagine this huge play up in my head where you were going to start to really blast me about the correct name of your church in an angry fashion, just <laughs> the complete opposite of, of peace, which is the name, the proper name of your church. Hey, hey, Kyle, thanks for uh, thanks for taking time to uh, have a conversation with us today. Thanks for that uh, very welcoming introduction. It wasn't combative at all. <laughs> well, especially when we think about like what our topic is for today. Uh, this is the second part conversation of the most common mistakes of church starts. This has nothing to do with your level of success whatsoever. Um, you actually volunteered. You said, hey, look, I've got some things I've learned over the last <laughs> couple of years, and I think I ought to share them, which... <laughs> You know, that is my ongoing kind of joke to to humble myself before people who come to me and say, tell me about what we need to do in a church start. And I say, well, the only thing I can tell you is what I've learned by mistakes. Yeah. So. Even though I don't have wild success, there might be a thing or two that we can learn from each other. And by wild success, I mean not a whole lot of success. <laughs> from, from a, you know, a numerical rear ends in the seat standpoint. So to recap, our, our last conversation uh, around common mistakes of church start, we talked about um, mistake number one is too much, too soon, too fast. That um, some of the church starts mentality is that we just want to immediately gather for worship. 
Well, um, you know, are you thinking about what you're going to do with your kids? How are you going to welcome guests? Are you going to follow up with guests? You know, what kind of equipment are you mm-hmm. going to have? What space are you going to meet in? And oftentimes rushing into decision, not just on gathering for worship, but, but trying to be all things to all people instead of going through a process of discernment to figuring out who you are. Um, we talked about uh, that one of the common mistakes is, is a lack of strategic development and leadership. Um, so, you know, many times we go through this beautiful process of developing a core group of people, uh, especially if you're a CBF church start, we want you to have a strong core group around you. But then sometimes you start and people start to come and um, you don't think about how and where you're going to go with this group of leaders and how you're going to begin to bring in other people and, and how you're going to train them and equip them to to minister to this new community of, of people. And then we also talked about that sometimes um, it's easy in church start world, uh, especially when you read some of the best-selling books on church starting or church planting, um, is just trying to duplicate what other people are doing instead of discovering your why. Um, to borrow, I guess, a phrase from Simon Sinek, um, why we're doing what we're being called to do. Uh, and that's something that, that helps clearly define what and how you, you move forward as a group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to pick up this conversation. I guess we're right where we left off. Uh, but before we get there, and this might lead us to our first point, um, I have some sad news. I know you would probably be disappointed in this. Um, news came out just a couple of weeks ago that uh, Frozen 2, uh, the mm. sequel to the Disney uh, just box office hit, is no longer going to be coming out in the next year, but it's actually going to be two more years. Um, and so whatever rendition of let them go or let them go is coming out. Uh, you're going to have to wait another couple of years, which is, is kind of a, a common mistake of church start um, is not letting it go or more specifically, let them go. Um, oftentimes we, we face uh, difficult church members. Actually, yeah. uh, there's a, a great book simply entitled Dealing with difficult church members. Uh, that happens from time to time. And often uh, a mistake made within church start is thinking that we can change people or that those people need to stay yeah. and that we need to work through that. What are some of your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I, I've realized over the last few years that I can't fix anybody. Um, and I don't necessarily think that's my responsibility Um I think it comes out of a good place because I I love my people so much. I think about them all the time. I'm constantly praying for them. I want the best for them and their lives, and I want them to grow, and I want the most for them in every way, their families, their careers, their emotional health. I, I want the best for them. Uh, so when it's time for someone to go for a variety of reasons, um, whether it's because they're moving or because – they have interest in another church or they're upset about something or they're toxic. I mean, uh, and, and they're just not, they're not good for our church. I, I generally have trouble uh, letting people go. And something I've learned over the last few years is uh, separation isn't necessarily negative. Uh, there are people who leave and that's okay. Um, I think as a church, we do a really good job of shepherding people into the church. You know, we get excited. Oh, so-and-so is joining the church and they're bringing their family and they have so much to offer our church and our body. But uh, maybe we need to get better at shepherding people out and realizing that 
uh, maybe it's not the best fit for both sides. And instead of having to point the fingers uh, and say, oh, we failed in this way or you're, something's wrong with you, we just realized that, hey, this, maybe this isn't the best, uh, the best relationship for us to be in. Um, it's been really hard for me, I think, because I'm an idealistic and I believe in the church and uh, I'm optimistic about the church. It's been and like 98% of the people that I encounter in church are such good people and wonderful people that it's hard for me to uh, understand. And what I've been trying to learn are people who treat church and membership differently than my idealism. Uh, there's people who treat membership like a secular contract and they leave as soon as they get a better offer. Um, they have a very much like a, a consumer mentality. And uh, when people come to you and they say, oh, yeah, we, we've been church shopping, I get really I get nervous because I think if you're church shopping and there's a wish list, um, I don't know if we're going to be able to meet every single one of your needs. Uh, anytime I have people come that are looking to serve and looking to worship and looking to be on mission and those sorts of things, uh, that gets me excited because I think, uh, we're we're going to be able to join together to work, but uh, I realized that not everybody views church the way that I view it. Um, mm. When we, how do I say this? I can. In the past, I've made a mistake because mistakes along the way, um, giving in to people that make just demands about preferences, you know, the way the guide looks or they have certain preferences in worship. And um, when those people, when they don't get their way and they leave, um, we keep our jobs, but we can sell our souls and our souls hurt a little bit when they leave. And people leave for this, like the stupidest reasons, you know? And uh, I don't remember who introduced me to this phrase, but somebody said that sometimes when people leave, it's really a blessed subtraction and to just say your prayers and thanks and uh, continue on your, continue on your way. Um, I've learned that uh, when you have a squeaky wheel, it's not always a good idea to give that squeaky wheel the oil. Um, maybe that wheel needs to be taken off. <laughs> I mean, I know the metaphor can break down pretty quick, but uh, there's people that just, they want attention for the wrong reasons. And it if you're distracted from your mission, vision, core values, and it's not coming out from who you are, uh, you got to, you got to move forward without just giving that squeaky with all the, all the attention. I had this, uh, I had this new Testament professor who used to say that uh, the parable of the lost sheep is a really beautiful expression about the character of God, but it's a really terrible framework for how to do pastoral ministry. Uh, <laughs> He said that if <laughs> when he dies and gets to heaven, he can't wait to um, ask God why he would uh, he would have a, a metaphor for such an irresponsible pastor. He used to say it was uh, the, he didn't call it the parable of the lost sheep. He called it the parable of the irresponsible shepherd. You know, like why would you leave ninety nine to go after this one who you know? <laughs> it's like maybe you just need to let that one go. I know that that's not the point of the story, but um, Andy. What do you think? Have you experienced 
people uh, people leaving? Has it been as tough for you as it has been for me? No, I mean, I have such a, a contagious personality that people <laughs> my entire life have just always wanted to, to stick around me. Um, <laughs> I, I, but, you know, we talk about all this and it really does come from this sounds so self-righteous and I really don't mean for it to like, a, I would be troubled if a pastor didn't have a sense of call to love people. And so naturally uh, a pastor might have an inclination to want to hold on to folks mm-hmm. um, because yeah. um, especially if you're a fix it kind of person, um, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily a fix it kind of person, um, but I certainly think that I can help mm-hmm. um, maybe not, not change, but help. And, and so it, it, it feels like a, a failure sometimes when you have to accept it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and really, I think we can begin to set up um, boundaries uh, in the beginning to help us uh, filter through um, people's stories to get to the heart of the matter. Um, not to borrow a term from a 1990 song, but um you know, this idea of having a conversation with people when they do visit your church. Uh, one of the things I've, I've tried to do when people come on Sundays is is ask those, uh, I guess, non-anxious questions of, you know, how did you hear about us? Uh, how, how long have you been in town? You know, when you ask some of those questions, somebody might identify, oh, we've been here a while. We're just looking for a new church. Oh, you're looking for a new church. Um, have you been a part of one recently? And you, you start to find out, okay, where are people coming from and why are they coming from those areas? And I think it's, uh, I think it's the responsibility of a pastor or a church to, to work with someone on, is there some sort of major unreconciled issue with the congregation that you're coming out of? Mm -hmm. Number one is, you know, if, if you're already saying to that person, you know, not that we don't accept you for who you are, but we're going to accept you and completely ignore the fact that you might have left this other church with guns blazing and yeah. unreconciled issues. Yeah. You know, while, while we do want our churches to feel successful by, um, by people coming to worship, we also don't want to feel a sense of success by, um, you know, enabling the failures of other congregations to not reconcile particular issues. And it could be that person was scarred significantly from Mm -hmm. the church they came from. And you can identify that and help them work through that. But I think there's something to be said about helping someone identify the baggage Mm -hmm. and how they work through that baggage um, before they become a part of your congregation. And maybe they come back, maybe they don't. Um, But certainly that's a practice that I found that's helped, helped me kind of see where people are and why they're coming to visit us if they've, if they've come from other places. Yeah. I think you make a good point about um, having conversations and setting up expectations at the front end about the, who who the church is and who the church wants to be. Um, Especially if somebody is coming from another church. Now we haven't had very many people, um, you know, transfer membership unless maybe they've moved to the area, but, uh, a question I like to ask people when they're joining our church is, um, would it be okay if I called your former pastor? And generally people uh, who have the purest intentions in uh, joining your church are proud because they think, oh yeah, I love my pastor. I'd love for them to know that I'm involved in a church down here that I moved. But you can sort of see the light go on in somebody's uh, eyes uh-oh <laughs> find out uh what's been going on and um 
you know, if somebody gives an answer, no, then you, you got to ask, okay, well, why is that? Or what's going on there? Um, but I, I've, I've become very uh, guarded. And I think as a shepherd where you're trying to, you know, protect your sheep, you, you should be a little guarded when somebody comes and can tell, can tell you about the four other churches in the area that they have been a part of in the last 10 years and why they hate them so much. And you think, you know, if you're mad and you've quit all these churches in the last 10 years, you're going to get mad at us and quit also at some point in the next two years. And uh, so trying to head off some of that at the beginning, I guess would be a lesson that I've, I've learned. It's just a good practice setting expectations ahead of time. Yeah. And, and I don't necessarily mean that, you know, you tell somebody, hey, you can't be a part of us. What what I feel like you're saying is, look, we want to be a community of reconciliation and reconciliation yeah, is really sure. tough. And we want to help you work through this. Um, and if someone's not willing to do that, number one is, yeah, it, it could be, like I said before, a very difficult issue of um, emotional and spiritual abuse from another congregation. That, <laughs> That has happened a time or two in, in the church's history, um, but you you can you can work through that in conversations with others, and and the reality is people come to church starts for any number of reasons, um, and sometimes those are very pure, and sometimes without knowing it, they're not necessarily the purest of reasons, and so you can help someone uh, by helping learn their story and helping them communicate that because in communicating our own story, we learn something more about ourselves, but sometimes, and as we talked about this from time to time, there are going to come circumstances where the best thing to do is just to let the birdie fly. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. And, and, and continue to hope the best for them. Hope that they are able to grow and uh, you know, maybe they weren't able to grow in our particular environment, um, but hope the best for them somewhere else but there uh you know there's some pride that goes into it where you say you know what have, what have i done that is not adequate enough for uh people to be able to worship here but letting people go and, and holding things lightly and just setting my pride aside uh is something that i i'm working on <laughs> i'm not gonna act like i've arrived but uh i at least know it's something i need to work on more well, and, and probably we probably need to clarify too, you know, because of our thousands of listeners out there that'll be listening to this podcast, like why? Yeah, gazillions. <laughs> uh, you know, what in the world would cause, you know, a church starter or a church for that matter to say somebody, you know, it's probably time you leave. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, toxic situations, oh, um, yeah. toxic personalities. Uh, bullying, not, bullying in the yeah. church. Yeah. I mean, we we had a person that I, I won't go into too much detail just because I don't know who will listen to this. But I mean, she was bullying another church member, and uh, we had to encourage them to not be around because it it, it was just a, a, a not uh, safe place for them to be if they if they weren't going to correct their behavior. So, uh, I mean, th- there are people who do some really just uh really hurtful things and and you can't let that go on in your church well yeah certainly you're you're um you're defending your your church members you're defending the body as a whole but you're also saying to this individual look um we we want to help and be a part of the process of refining all of us all of us Mm -hmm. have aspects of our life that um that need to be refined and 
you know, we're not talking about just going up to someone out of the blue and saying, you know, we've decided it's time for you to leave, but we're talking about, you know, you've spent time, you've uh, sat down and had intimate conversations. You've asked for moments of reconciliation and conflict management has has taken place. And it's just, sometimes you've come to a place where you realize, you know, I think it's best that we part ways. This is, this is not healthy for you. It's clearly not healthy for us. Um, and, and maybe, maybe it's time to, to move on. And that is a very difficult conversation to have. You, you asked before if I had dealt with a situation like that before. Um, and I, I have, um, mm. you know, uh, where oftentimes, um, those that are bullies or those that are, are causing all sorts of drama in the church, uh, typically it's masked in passion for the church. And so you might have somebody that comes and they're so energized around what you're doing. And we gravitate naturally to people who mm-hmm. um, have so much energy and have so much passion. And um, this particular person, we, we immediately saw just their passion and, and leadership abilities. And so we started empowering them in, in too many ways. Mm-hmm. And about the time that we had got them into two or three leadership roles, not major leadership mm-hmm. roles, but two or three opportunities for leadership, that's when things started to fall apart. That's when we started to connect the dots that there was always problems in the areas that they were touching. And, um, you know, this, this took place over a period of three years where, um, we put a strategic plan in place after having multiple times of trying to sit down and to reconcile and to work through these issues and to talk about the trouble spots, um, to begin to remove the power this person had in their leadership roles. And that sounds it can sound manipulative even when I'm saying I'm like, that, that sounds really harsh. But what we did is we realized that when this person had power, when they had control, they used it for unhealthy ways. And we felt the best way to, um, to not enable them was to remove them from those things. And eventually uh, we didn't have to have the conversation of maybe it's time for you to go. They realized that they no longer were going to be able to suck up power and control. And they moved on to another congregation. I've already, I've already heard that congregation. They moved on to after us, they've already moved on to another one. Uh, So it's just, it's a pattern that happens. Probably your fault on the way out, you know, because you didn't have a certain program or whatever else. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I totally agree about the reconciliation and grace process. You know, I mean, we're, when I talk about this, it's not like we've had to sit down and kick out tons of people from the church. Um, but, you know, it, there's got to be some healthy boundaries and parameters when it comes to um, covenant, covenant, covenanting. Is covenanting the word? That is such a fun word to say. Covenanting I think- with one another in the uh, body of Christ, you know, and in, in your local local body. Um, and, and that's something that has been really, it's been hard for me to learn until I've seen it. You know, if I, we have people that are going to be listening to this who have spent probably quite a bit of time in ministry and they, it might be more obvious to them, but it's one of those things that until I encountered it firsthand, I didn't really under, understand how important that was. But, uh, People that are intentionally being toxic and refusing to submit to peace and love and grace toward one another in the church, um, you know, those types of people can bring the whole church down and can can have a, a heavy cloud over the church. Again, you could have ninety eight percent of your church joyful, loving, graceful, peaceful type people, um, but if you continue to let um, some really unhealthy people 
take their unhealth out on the rest of the church, you can hurt the rest of the church. So here, here's just an example. I got a, uh, a couple years ago, we planted these shamard oak trees in our backyard. And uh, last summer, I noticed that one of the trees uh, had these spots on its leaves. And I looked it up and I guess it was pretty serious, especially since the tree was small. And uh, it told me how to prune the tree whenever the season ended and that I needed to take like hand pick uh, some of the leaves off and make sure that they didn't get anywhere near the soil. Cause if they got anywhere near the soil that the next year they would continue to infect the tree until the tree died. So it took a lot of work and uh, I thought this tree might die, but I had to hand pluck the, uh, the diseased parts off. And then when the tree came back this spring, the, the tree was healthy, it's continued to grow. And so it takes a little bit of faith doing these things, um, especially in a church plant where you think, oh my gosh, if this person leaves, this is 8% of my budget or 10% or 4% or whatever else, you know, where are we going to, where are we going to get the money? How are we going to replace this? But I, I've got to have faith that uh, God has called us to do something and that God will provide and, and that the people will rally around and, and provide even when we have to do really hard things to grow. Yeah, well, and, and not just, you know, from a faith side, but I would encourage you, um, anybody who's dealing with this situation, uh, that it, it is tough. And, and I do realize that as we're talking about this, it can elevate someone who is somewhat of an authoritarian, where all mm-hmm. of a sudden you, you start making the decisions of you need to go and you need to stay. Yeah, That's not what we're talking about here. I mean, really, utilize counsel around you. This needs to be a leadership decision as a whole. And when you start to track these things early on um, with an individual, you don't need to keep them to yourself. Whatever form of leadership you have within the church, um, you know, have a conversation with these people, um, have a conversation with mentors. Um, You know, it's funny is uh, way back starting all the way in 2008 when I started a program with Chris Gamble uh, and the Center for Congregational Health here in North Carolina, we talked about triangulization, toxic Mm -hmm. people and... Uh, challenging temperaments. And I remember thinking at a time, like, ah, you know, I, don't, I don't really know if it's ever going to come to this point. And then <laughs> revisit this years later as, you know, going through another leadership development program and you start to realize like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you're not alone. Like yeah. other people have dealt with this. And so utilizing the counsel you have around you to have those conversations, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, this does not need to be your decision alone. Oh um, yeah. That's a great yeah. point. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we can, what happens if, if we keep it to ourselves is it weighs on us and it provides stress and then uh, we can take too much on and get burned out and, and it's hard to focus, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's something I've had to learn also. You know, the people who love to send emails right after church or text you right after church want to have these private conversations but uh, that, about their preferences, but they don't want to talk to the whole church because they think you need to be the person to be their mouthpiece and they're trying to manipulate you. Yeah, I mean, I've had those people who use those power dynamics. And uh, so so we've learned, you know, if you have a problem with worship, bring the whole worship team. If you have something about leadership, you know, let's let's talk to the whole worship team. You know, let's bring this out into the light in front of uh, everyone. You know, don't manipulate a staff member. Don't manipulate me. Um, you know, if, if something's really important that's going to affect the whole church, well, let's let's bring it to the church. And I guess, you know, that, that gets a little bit into our ecclesiology of, you know, congregationalism and, and being the body and, uh, and, and working together. Well, if this was volleyball, you just set up a really sweet serve for <laughs> the, the next mistake we were going to talk about, which is um, 
a lack of self-care, a lack of boundaries, you know, because when you're dealing with situations like that, it is so easy for this to weigh heavy on you. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, this has nothing to do with you. Um, Now, okay, it could, it could, you you could be preaching on things and you could be, yes, I'm going to go ahead and say this as pastors. We could from time to time um, make mistakes on a weekly, daily basis. Um, But but oftentimes it has nothing to do with you. It's something that's connected mm-hmm. to something completely else. And it just happens to be projected onto you. And what tends to happen um, when you deal with these situations as a church starter, as a pastor, especially because most of our church starters start off as the sole staff person, um, is that begins to wear heavy on your soul mm-hmm. and on your mind uh, and your heart. And, and so that is another common mistake church starters make is not establishing boundaries, having a mm-hmm. lack of boundaries. And this includes things like self-care, uh, familial care, uh, spiritual care, bi-professional care, physical care. Um, it's so easy to begin to uh, realize that you have nothing to set you apart from your time with the church. You have nothing to set yourself up uh, apart from the way you spend your time. And a lot of that depends on your church start model. You know, if you're starting an attractional model church um, where you're more just a a figurehead who preaches on Sunday and leaves the work to other people to do as far as building relationships, that's not as difficult. You're more dealing with a lack of boundaries when it comes to uh, Mm -hmm. how you receive criticism. But if you're, if you're like many of our church starters or church starters who are living into a incarnational relational model church, most likely some of the toxic people we're talking about are coming over to your house for dinner. They're playing, their kids are playing with your kids. You're living life well with these people. Right. And so it, it can become a challenge to understand where you end and another person begins, mm-hmm. where church work ends and your personal and familiar time begins, familial time begins. Mm, yeah. Where have you seen, a, you know, in, in, in regards to a lack of boundaries, what are some hard lessons you've had to learn? Yeah, well, uh, I've had to learn that I can't do it all and I shouldn't do it all. And actually, when I try to do it all, I am robbing other people of using their gifts and uh, however God has created them to serve the kingdom and to serve the local church. Um, so it's important to to share responsibility, to have shared leadership. And then uh, when you're talking about boundaries or parameters, um, making sure to be intentional with family. Uh, it's so easy to be absorbed by things going on at a church. Even in a, a smaller church plant like ours, it's so easy to look back and think, oh my gosh, I worked 90 hours the last few weeks on the church. And it's like, that's not healthy. Um, I don't think that, I think the church wants me to be healthy, you know, and a lot of it is just, it's pressure I'm putting on myself. It's like, no one's telling me that I need to work that many hours and I need to do that much. It's telling me that I need to respond to that text message at 1030 PM, or I need to check my email 17 times today. Uh, No one's telling me that I'm putting too much pressure on myself. So uh, the boundaries I realized aren't only for other people, but they're, they're often for me because I, I'm a self-starter and motivation comes from within. Uh, I have to tell my, I have to make sure I'm taking Sabbath. I have to make sure that I'm taking care of myself physically and that I'm exercising and eating right. And I'm not spending all my time, um, overworking. 
Um, I have to have patience with myself and patience with other people. Uh, I have to realize that uh, sometimes it, it takes time to grow. You know, it's like that the tree I was telling you about that it grew. I mean, it's take a couple of years. I mean, you have to water, you have to wait for the sunlight, you have to uh, trim it up in the, the certain seasons. I mean, it just, it takes a while. And so I have to have patience with uh, myself and patience with other. Um, I've also realized I'm not on call all the time for everything. That's a really unhealthy behavior. Um, I, if I am, I need to try to develop some sort of system and utilize whatever the leadership structure is in our churches. You know, for ours, we've called some deacons and, and they're beginning to help more with uh, pastoral care. I, I have other staff members. I have other leaders. We have a servant leadership council. And the thing is that I've realized is they love to serve. And so that's where I kick myself a little bit is when I finally give something up, it's like, they're like, oh, finally, good. We have something to do. We, we wanted to be able to serve in this way. And I, I realized it's almost like I'm, I've hoarded the work for myself and I, I've, I've brought this, uh, I, I brought the pain upon myself. Um, I realized that uh, I can wait to reply to that email. Um, you know, if I wait, other people might have great ideas. They have something to contribute other people will jump in and serve. I don't have to be the person to, to do everything. Um, and again, I, I think it comes out of a good place because it, it comes out that I want to serve. I don't want to be a person who just sits back and, and watches uh, other people or just delegates to others. I, I, I want to uh, participate. But um, what I realized is empowering others to serve helps them be fulfilled spiritually. And it, and it, uh, the church is then able to grow. I know that Harry in um, one of the last uh, podcasts talks about, um, you know, churches have trouble, you know, that 25 to 40 range, sometimes outgrowing that because they, uh, the, the pastors are so involved in everything. And, you know, you have to continually train leaders and, and grow other people. And um, that's something that, that we've learned over the last couple of years. And I think we're actually starting to, uh, to do a lot better in, in, in the health of our leadership is sharing responsibility. Um, and it's just, it's taken a huge weight off of my shoulders and I'm enjoying ministry in the season that we're in right now. Um, what about you, Andy? What, what are some good practices for self-care or some, some ways that, that you've seen uh, church starters uh, maybe not practice good self-care? You know, the funny thing is about, about self-care is, I mean, it's so true what you said that we do this to ourselves yeah. Um, a church starter, there is no job description. <laughs> you know, how much of our job description have we added on to ourselves or perceived a, a particular need? And so taking a step back and putting, um, putting things into priority matters. Um, we were actually having a conversation last night on our, our cohort, our process for people who are interested in starting a church and they go through discernment process with us. And we were talking about bi-professional ministry and you know, you talk about what, what, what is necessary for your time as a church starter? You know, how do you need to, to really, truly use your time? For many people, you're coming out of vocational ministry um, in an office somewhere where there were certain things expected of you. Well, you have the opportunity now to redefine how you use your time and you have to stick to how you use your time. Um, and, and if not, you find yourself in a place where you are working 60, 70 hours a week and you know, think about what you're using your time for. But another thing you said that, that I found to be true too is, is that you have to clearly set those boundaries and realize that sometimes you're going to get pushback on them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've had church members that text me at nine o'clock at night 
and I'll say to him, you know, technically my phone's on because I don't ever cut my phone off. Um, (laughs) But um, I'm not going to answer this. I'll get back to you in the morning. Right now is family time. Um, You know, I've had, I had a church member, actually this happened last year where um, I was on vacation and one of our church members came getting back to people letting go. Um, One of our church members came to our associate minister and said, our family's going to leave the church. And she said, well, you need, you need, would you mind talking with Andy about this? And I said, yeah, uh, sure. And she said, well, if you'll do me a favor, he is on vacation. Let's wait until he comes back and contact him. This was on a Sunday. By Sunday afternoon, they had emailed me, you know, and I was practicing good self-care. I had put auto reply onto all of my email addresses, but for some reason, the email still came through and it popped up and I was kind of curious. And here on this amazing vacation I'm having with my family is completely crushed by, you know, this family that's choosing to leave. And this is, this isn't somebody who's toxic. This is somebody that I had baptized their, their children. Um, we have loved them dearly over the last couple of years. And so, you know, uh, People, people will break those boundaries that, that you set up. Um, mm-hmm. So you bring up some, some really, really good points. Um, and and it's, not just, it's not just time care, but it is familial care. It's, mm-hmm. it's, knowing, it's knowing where your family time begins and when your time with the church ends. And it's a challenge if you're living into a relational model church where you have people over for meals. And so compensating for that time is so important. But then also you have to have that, that sense of uh, professional boundaries that while you might be in a relation model church, uh, a church that is trying to live life well together, um, you do need to still have those boundaries. Be careful with what you say, how you say it, um, where you are and what you're doing. Um, to be mindful of all those things, because while we might have the best intentions, oftentimes, especially when people are upset and emotions are involved, uh, some things that were said or things that were done can be taken out of context and, and used sure. against you in an yeah. unhealthy way. Yeah. Um, so if somebody sends me a text message at nine o'clock at night and says, Hey, can you send me over an email list of all the men in our church or, you know, all of people, parents or whatever else, or can you send this out for me? Uh, if I respond because I have my, my phone out or I'm not busy, something I'll do is I'll say, you know, my reserved office time for this week is at you know, 11 to 2 p.m. I work on emails on Tuesday or something like, that. you know, whatever the time is, and I'll send it to you then. And what I found out is most reasonable people, reasonable people understand that, right? They're not trying to rob your family time. They don't know that you're with your family. They're just, it's on their mind. So they're sending it to you while it's on their mind. And if somebody is unreasonable, that's on them. That's not on you. And so I've also found that it's a, it's a good idea to have your leadership or your personnel team or your staff, whoever, whoever uh, needs to know your schedule, communicate your schedule to them. And, uh, you know, um, this is something that I learned in our CBF Fellows program. Um, Harry talked about, you know, creating a schedule and, and letting staff people and other people know. Um, when you're going to be doing things, because a lot of people, they just, they don't know what you do as a pastor. They just, I don't know, who knows what they think that that you do, but if you let them know, like, hey, this is the time I have reserved for counseling, or this is the time that I have reserved for meeting with church members or going to lunch or whatever, most people are pretty reasonable. You know, somebody asks you to go to lunch and you look at your calendar and you're booked for three weeks, tell them that you're booked for three weeks, but that you, you know, that you're going to put them on the calendar and then put them on the calendar. And, uh, it, see, it seems like reasonable people, for the most part, understand that. 
So I would say um, one of the things that taking this away in a practical uh, basis is that you need to formulate your boundaries, understand, mm-hmm. understand your boundaries, understand um, when office time is, how you're going to use your time mm-hmm. uh, and how you're going to compensate for time. Um, you know, if, if, if your church start model is to have people over at your home for, for small groups um, and you've already worked a eight hour day, you, you might need to consider that at some point during that day that you're having people over that you, you stop early, spend some time with your kids. If you have kids, spend mm-hmm. some time with your spouse, if you have a spouse or more, more importantly, sometimes uh, as your family would hope is you need to take care of yourself uh, physically. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, taking time out for these things is is a is a payout for the church in the long run because our churches do want us healthy, and because healthy ministers stay, they stick sure. around. Um, they they want to be a part of of what God is doing there, not worrying about uh, escaping. Yeah. Um, Another practice that I've picked up um, is putting an end time, not just a beginning time. So if you're going to meet with someone, you know, give them from nine thirty to ten thirty or two to three thirty or whatever else. Um, you know, you, you can, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I love to talk to people and I can, you know, keep going forever and then time can get away from me. Um, but you know, sticking to that, uh, it's fair to yourself. It's fair to them. It's fair to your family. It's fair to other things that you're doing. Um, not letting it just go on forever and ever and ever, uh, has been a pretty good practice. Well, um, Let's not be hypocrites. I'm going to put that into practice right now. <laughs> this has been a, this is an awesome conversation. We actually, uh, we're going to try to get to several other aspects. So I think what that means is that we get more time together. Yay. <laughs> <clears throat> we're doing video chat right now. And re- he really does look enthusiastic. Um, <laughs> well, we'll pick this conversation up uh, maybe in a third part or fourth part um, of Common Mistakes of Church Start. So Kyle, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Andy. Appreciate you. Appreciate CBF, everything uh, that we do as partners together uh, in the kingdom. Uh, We love you and we are very appreciative of you. Well, before we let you go, we need to spotlight one more of our sponsors today, CBF Dawnings. The meaning and value of Dawnings is different for individuals and communities. For churches, Dawnings is a biblical framework for local congregational life informed by the practices of Jesus. Practically, it offers a basic infrastructure for a congregation's life together. For individuals, Dawnings is a rhythm of daily and seasonal living that helps individuals orient their personal lives to God's dream for the world and God's mission in it. For CBF, Dawnings is a new way of relating to its partners, individuals, churches, and organizations. Dawnings encourages and enables shared vision and collaboration among these partners while informing CBS initiatives for resourcing congregations. For everyone involved, Dawnings is a shared way of life that anticipates our future while honoring both our recent and ancient past. As a way of proceeding clearly, it helps to distinguish between Dawnings the idea, or simply Dawnings, and Dawnings the process. Visit cbfdawnings.org for more information or to submit an application for a retreat. As we go, we want to give a special thank you to the Center for Congregational Health and CBF Dawn. We also want to let you know about several exciting upcoming episodes, including Sarah Bessie, the author of Out of Sorts and an amazing blogger, Melissa Rogers, who served on President, and Brian Zahn, author and pastor. We also have some major changes coming to the podcast. Stay tuned for more information. 
Visit cbfchurchstarts.net for more information about CBF Church Start Initiative, along with blogs from our church starters from across the fellowship 